As we travel down the highway, we often encounter warning signs, such as bridge freezes before road surface, falling rocks, lanes merge, work area ahead, detour ahead, and on and on. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus provides us with some warning signs for the spiritual journey that we are on. The first warning sign is, be sure you're on the right road, which we looked at last week. Today, the warning is, be on the lookout. False prophets lie ahead. And then, next week, be careful where you build. So this morning, as we look at our, our text in, Hebrew, in uh, Matthew chapter 7, the theme is Jesus issues a warning. Stay alert, false prophets are ahead. Stay alert, false prophets are ahead. Notice with me, first of all, the warning given in Matthew seven fifteen. We're all to be on the lookout for false prophets. Verse 15 says, beware of the false prophets. Prophets. They are a very real and present danger. And thus we are to stay alert, eyes wide open, peeled, looking for the false prophets that are inevitably going to come into our path. So, what are false prophets? What are we looking for? Well, a true prophet is one who represents themselves as speaking for God. Not necessarily making predictions. Oftentimes we associate prophets as foretellers, talking about future events and predicting what is going to take place in the near future. But in the broadest sense of the word, a prophet is merely a spokesperson for God. They are proclaiming and declaring God's message. For example, in Exodus chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. Meaning that Aaron is going to represent Moses. Aaron is going to be the declarer of Moses' message, his will. He's going to speak to Pharaoh through Aaron. So a prophet is a person through whom God is speaking. A false prophet is one who represents themselves as speaking for God, but in fact does not. They are not truly, accurately, fully representing the mind and will of God. They are adding to or taking away from his word. Their teaching is false. False in a variety of ways. It can be false concerning the wide and narrow gate that we heard about last week. The way in which a person is born again. Certainly there are a lot of men and women that are proclaiming supposedly God's word who are giving an 
inaccurate representation of how it is that a person is born again. Or it could be false teaching concerning sanctification. We heard broad is the way last week that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. So there are people that would teach falsehood concerning what the Christian life looks like, what God requires, what God expects. False teaching about baptism, false teaching about communion, false teaching about how the Spirit of God works in our hearts and lives. And then, ultimately, false teaching about heaven and hell, about what transpires after we take place. Right now in the movie theaters, there's a a movie uh, that uh, depicts a child that supposedly died and went to heaven. Of course, that story was challenged by the medical authorities that took care of that child and eventually had to retract and say, well, he didn't actually die, uh, but he had a near-death experience and he was able to see heaven. Well, the scripture tells us what heaven is like, and uh, it's not going to be a child that is going to reveal those things to us in that way. But we are surrounded by many who claim to be speaking for God, who in fact are not. We're to be aware of that. Next, the description of false prophets. Notice verse 15, beware of false prophets. Here's the description. Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Three characteristics of false prophets from this verse. First, they are aggressive and on the prowl. Notice the words, who come to you. Who come to you. These are individuals who will be seeking you out. People that are wanting to engage with you. They want to interact with you. But they are going to be misleading, twisting, making that which is straight crooked. They will present themselves as caring, as interested and as wanting to be helpful, but they are indeed not. But they are going to come to you. Notice in Acts chapter 20, if you would turn with me there. Acts chapter 20. On this occasion, the Apostle Paul is meeting with the elders from Ephesus. And he has a somber word of warning to these Ephesian elders. Notice what he has to say. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all of the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure... Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. So there are going to be people that come in from the outside in order to prey upon the flock. And it says, and from among your own selves, men will arise. That is by far the most dangerous. When people from our own midst rise up and do not accurately, faithfully declare the truth of the word of God. And the motivation, it says in this particular passage, is to draw people after themselves. To get a following. To get a people that are uniquely committed to them. For a variety of reasons that we will see in just a moment. Secondly, false prophets are deceptive and cunning. Notice in verse 15, they come to you in sheep's clothing. Sheep's clothing. This is a metaphor. They are going to look like sheep. And in this passage, the people of God are viewed as a flock. A flock of sheep. So they are going to try to pass themselves off as a dedicated, committed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which makes them very, very deceptive and also very hard to uh, ascertain. Because they're going to look like they're part of the flock. The trouble with false prophets are, is that they seem very nice, very reasonable, very trustworthy. On the outside, they look just fine. Because they are claiming to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they may even be able to do miracles. Notice the next section, verse 21. Now everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Here's the false prophets. Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. So they are going to present themselves as follower of Jesus and may even be able to do miracles. And last week I mentioned as an example Judas Iscariot, who was able to do the miracles that the other disciples were able to do, and yet not a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and ultimately a son of perdition. So these people are very, very uh, cunning. And then lastly, false prophets are abusive and self-serving. Notice verse 15, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So they put on an outward appearance of being dedicated, committed, faithful 
Christians who want to be spiritually helpful to you, want to be a spiritual benefit to you, but inwardly their motivation is that they are ravenous wolves. Kind of like the story of Little Red Riding Hood. Remember that story? And uh, the wolf, of course, dresses himself up as being this innocuous grandmother, all with the intent of devouring Little Red Riding Hood. Well, these individuals put on a garb of looking like faithful, committed, devoted Christians with the intent of exploiting people, with the intent of of taking advantage of people for their own benefit. And that benefit could be anything from pride and wanting people to follow them to actually skullduggery in the terms of trying to get money from you so that you would donate to their ministry, you would donate to their cause, that you would help them financially in some way. There are many, many religious organizations in which their leaders are getting filthy rich as a result of the inappropriate absconsion of funds that unwittingly Christians are supporting. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Another passage of scripture that depicts these false prophets. 2 Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2, reading verse 1. But false prophets also rose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. That is, they, they will try to sneak in destructive teaching, even denying the master who bought them. So destructive is that they are going to erode people's commitment to Jesus Christ. Denying his authority. Denying his lordship over them. Bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Verse 2. And many will follow their sensuality. Now that gives us a glimpse into also how they work. Their sensuality. That is that they are going to teach self-pleasure. Self-fulfillment. They are going to teach people to do what feels good. And use that as a standard of righteousness and holiness. They're going to erode the truth of scripture. And replace it with sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. Because of them, God's word is going to be ill-spoken of. They are going to be a blight upon Christianity. Their testimony is going to unfortunately affect us all. 
That is one of the great problems of false teachers. The world does not discriminate or discern the difference among people who name the name of Christ. The world is clueless that there are many, many different denominations. There are many, many different groups, organizations, people that call themselves Christians. And unfortunately, we all get lumped together. And those that are doing all kinds of skullduggery, those that are living very unrighteous and unholy lives, unfortunately affect the whole. And they erode the testimony that each of us has. Then notice verse 3 of 2 Peter 2.3. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Whether that be lying about a revelation that they had received, or lying about what the word of God really teaches, or lying about themselves, their ministry, their, their commitments, what they're going to use the money for that they take away from you. Their judgment from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. They're going to be judged. So thirdly, how do we detect false prophets? How do we recognize them? And I would submit to you that this might be the most surprising part of this particular section. How are you going to know who and what they are? It says in verse 16, you will know them by their fruit. Verse 16, you will know them by their fruits. And then a summary statement in verse 20. So then you will know them by their fruits. That opens and closes this little pericope on false prophets. How are you going to know a false prophet? Answer, by their fruits. Why is their fruit so important? Answer, because it reveals their heart. Notice verse 16. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. So what is meant by fruit? It is their deeds, it is their conduct. We are to be able to identify false teachers by their behavior, by their actions, by their deeds. It is not the crowds that they gather or lack thereof. It is not the miracles they perform or don't perform. And interestingly enough, it's not even their teaching. And if anything, you would think it would be, well, analyze 
their teaching. Because many false prophets oftentimes speak the truth. The problem is they don't speak the truth all the time. But they may speak the majority of the truth the majority of the time. That's what makes them so deceptive. That's what makes them so cunning. Because they are trying to look just like you. And if they arise from our midst, they're going to understand us completely. They're going to understand what we teach. They're going to understand what we expect. And they are going to outwardly conform to all of that in order to draw away people after themselves. It is their acts of righteousness or, in their case, lack of righteousness. Notice verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You who practice lawlessness. Remember, we are in a section of the Sermon on the Mount. So let me put it into context before you once again. The incident that started this particular section of the Sermon on the Mount goes back to the Pharisees saying that Jesus Christ came to abolish the law. He said, I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And then he went on to say to the uh, disciples, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. He was saying that the scribes and Pharisees were false prophets. Strong language. He was saying if you follow them, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he showed in two two ways how their righteousness did not go far enough. He gave six examples of their interpretation of the law and how their interpretation of the law did not go far enough. And what it came down to was that their interpretation of the law did not reach to the heart. It was all about external righteousness. It was all about do's and don'ts. It wasn't about the heart. So when they talked about adultery, they were not talking about a person looking upon a woman and lusting after her that they have committed adultery in their heart already. When they were saying don't commit murder, all they were talking about was an outward act in which you do not physically take the life of another. Jesus said, if you have hatred in your heart towards someone else, you've broken this commandment. They were just talking about external righteousness. That is one good sign of a false teacher. When their concerns are purely external, when righteousness consists solely 
of how you dress, how you look, where you go, where you don't go, what you do as activities, what you don't do as activities. When righteousness is purely external, they have missed the boat. And they are teaching a standard that is contrary to the word of God. Their righteousness does not go far enough. And then secondly, Jesus said not only were they teaching an outward righteousness, but they themselves were not practicing a true and godly righteousness. He warned that they were doing acts of alms or good deeds for the wrong motives, for the wrong purposes. They would pray, the example was given. They would actually give gifts to people that were in need. They would do many good deeds but they would do them for the wrong reasons. They would do them, Jesus said, in order to receive praise of men, in order to be seen by others, solely so that they would look righteous, not to please God, and not truly to be helpful to someone else, but rather solely to present themselves to others as being righteous, when in fact they weren't. Outward righteousness does not cut it. It has to come from the heart. Jesus teaches then that the only way that you are going to be able to ascertain who is a true prophet from a false prophet is by looking at their holy or godly character. By, your, by their fruits, you will know them. By their lifestyle, by their conduct. A true teacher of God must have a godly character. In 1 Thessalonians, you don't need to turn there, I'll read it. Paul writes to the Thessalonians and he says to them, You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. He is trying to protect the Thessalonians from false teachers. He uses himself as an example. He says, we didn't use flattery. We didn't try to butter you up. We did not put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, And blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. A spiritual leader must be spiritual. They must be godly. Now obviously, no spiritual leader is going to be sinless or perfect. That's not going to happen. If you're looking for perfection, you're not going to find it. But a spiritual leader should be consistent. 
That is, that they should put forth every effort to try to live consistent with the message that they proclaim. They should not be a proclaimer of one thing and a doer of another. But their lifestyle ought to reflect the things that they are declaring before God. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. So two things we should hear from someone in order to understand that they are a true proclaimer of God's word. First, that righteousness ultimately is found in Jesus Christ. That none of us are righteous in and of ourselves. That in order to be in the presence of God, our sins must be forgiven through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That our righteousness will not measure up in order to be in the kingdom of heaven. That message must be loud and clear and central. If it's not, they are a false teacher. They are not representing the truth about the way of salvation. So objectively, they need to be proclaiming the truth of righteousness. Secondly, they then need themselves to be living a righteous life. When we know the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior, it transforms us. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passing away. All things are becoming new. We can't be living like the world, living like an unbeliever, and yet proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a righteousness that transforms In Matthew 7, 24, staying with the context. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. You see, they hear the word and they act upon it. In James it says, don't just be hearers of the word, but doers also. Then it goes on in chapter 3, saying don't be quick to be a teacher. Why? Because you are to be a primarily a doer of the word of God. If a person is not a doer of the word of God, then it's problematic. A few weeks ago, we were in a passage that says you should not judge. I said that that doesn't mean we don't practice discernment. Now we're in a passage that teaches us we need to practice discernment. We need to recognize who's a true teacher from who's a false teacher. And Jesus says the way that you're going to do that is by examining their fruits. And not just fruit, but fruits. Their, their actions, their deeds. How in the world are we going to be able to do that? What is that going to require? First of all, something that is extremely important that we take for granted today, and that is 
We really need to know this person. We really need to know this person. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5, the counsel that comes from the Apostle Paul after saying, you know what I was like. Then he says this, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Know those that labor among you are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. In the book of Timothy, it says, don't lay your hands quickly on an individual. It's in a passage that's talking about establishing elders and deacons. You aren't to just quickly choose your elders and your deacons. You are to know them and to know them well. And I'm not going to exegete all those passages, but one of the things that you are to look at for elders and deacons is their families, it says. And if you can't rule your family, you can't rule the church of God, is what the book of Timothy says. So that means our marriages are open for scrutiny. Now, obviously, not sinless, not perfect. Our children... The way we are rearing our children. The standards that we are presenting for them. These are things by which the scripture says you're going to be able to ascertain the heart. You see, because we can't look at a person's heart. We can listen to what people say motivates us. But it is their actions that are going to actually determine the genuineness, the authenticity of what they are proclaiming and what they are saying. Is it reflected in their day-to-day life's choices? Is it reflected in the way in which they are instilling values in their children? Are they consistent with what publicly they are saying is important, with what they are instilling in their children that this is important? We are to be examining people's lives. That is a scary thing for a spiritual leader. But it is of ultimate importance. And their lives are going to reveal their hearts. Whether they just give lip service to acknowledging Jesus as their Lord, or whether they're actively trying to live a life that reflects Jesus as their Lord. Jesus had been very, very hard on the Pharisees. But when push came to shove, the very spiritual leaders that he was finding fault with are the ones who paid money to Judas to lie at a trial about Jesus. 
They are the ones who knowingly put to death an innocent person. Their actions ultimately revealed the very heart that only Jesus could see but knew was there. But it took time to see. It took time for that to come to the surface. You think about Judas Iscariot. Scripture says that Jesus knew from the very beginning that he was going to be the betrayer. And that's why Jesus chose him to be a disciple. To actually fulfill that role. But Judas wasn't a good guy that eventually went bad. Judas was a bad guy who eventually that badness showed. Because, do you remember also the passage concerning Judas? When Mary came in and was anointing the feet of Jesus. And she had put this costly perfume on the feet of Jesus. You remember what Judas says? Why wasn't this money given to the poor? Why are we wasting money on anointing the feet of Jesus when we should be giving it to the poor? Then do you remember what the text says? This he said not because he cared for the poor, but because he was in control of the money and he was a thief. He wasn't interested in giving money to the poor. That's the sheep's clothing. That's looking good, sounding good. That's the exploitation. That's the deception. Let's give it to the poor. All with the intention that when the money is collected, he's going to take some of it. That's the reality. By their fruits, you will know them. So we need to know our spiritual leaders intimately. That means you need to be able to interact with them, observe them on a daily basis. I believe that this is the primary reason why we have so many false teachers today. Because with the onslaught of technology, one person can reach millions. But millions can't know that one person. You can't have a personal relationship with a man on the radio. You know nothing unless Time Magazine or Christianity Today or or World Magazine or, or somebody reveals their private life to you. You can't see how they interact day by day. You can't watch them with their children. You can't see them with their spouse. You don't know their attitude. You don't know how they handle themselves in various situations. 
And unfortunately, in Christianity today, people care less and less about what they need to care most about. And that is really knowing this individual, what makes them tick. Really get to know someone. And you can see if they're motivated by greed. You can see if they put on a good act, but behind closed doors, they're a different person. And that's what the scripture is encouraging us to do. If only Christians knew their spiritual leaders, the people that they are listening to. One of the real concerns I have is that not only have we moved into a society of tele-evangelists and uh, also people proclaiming the word over the radio, and, and there's many good things about that, to be sure, but many dangers associated. But what's more troubling to me is not only are we moving to mega churches, but now we're moving to satellite churches. And that is that mega churches, the preacher is just broadcasting his message into other congregations. And so you've got worship going on in this other congregation. They're singing and so on. But when it comes time for the message, they broadcast it in from the mother church. There is absolutely no way for the people in that congregation, that satellite church, to know anything about the personal life of the man that they're listening to. Brothers and sisters, that is problematic. Because that's the way the scripture says you identify a false prophet by their lives. Not their miraculous deeds, not even their teaching, but their personal lives will reveal their hearts. So lastly, the final destination of the false prophet. They will be destroyed. Matthew 7.19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In keeping with the road that leads to destruction, Matthew 7.13, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, the way is broad, that leads to destruction. In keeping with those who falsely profess Jesus as Lord, Matthew 7.23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye who practice lawlessness. And in keeping with those who are not doers of the word and build their house upon the sand, Matthew 7.27, And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and burst against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Again, we're not talking about perfection. We're not talking about absolute godliness, holiness. No one can meet that standard. Not at all. But we are talking about a life of consistency. 
of a life that shows a genuine concern of seeking to follow Christ and to perform righteously, not just for the sake of others, but for the glory of God and a desire to please him. That should be seen. So conclusion. We must constantly be on guard against false prophets and false teachers, for they are abundant. You don't have to go looking for them. They are going to come looking for you. And we must keep in mind that false prophets are deceptive. What do they look like? They are aggressive. They will seek you out. They are deceptive, looking like the people of God. And they are ultimately abusive, for they are exploiting the people of God. And remember, the only way to ultimately detect the difference between a true and false prophet is by their lives. By their lives. So Paul says, know those who labor among you. Know those who are over you in the Lord. Know those who admonish you. And don't lay your hands quickly on anyone. Get to know the people that you are going to entrust your spiritual life to. The people that are going to give you guidance and counsel and instruction in godliness and holiness. Get it from somebody you can respect. And if you can't respect them, you shouldn't follow them. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Certainly a difficult message. And uh, Lord, I know that in many times I fall so short of these things. But Lord, I pray that you would help us all with a sincere heart to seek after righteousness and holiness. To try to put the kingdom of God first in our lives. And not willing to be something publicly that we are not privately. Oh Lord, grant us consistent lives. And may we then in turn teach others to be consistent as well. All to your honor and glory. For we know that what you require of us is a life of spirit and truth of a life of true repentance, of recognizing our sinfulness, of wanting to be forgiven and delivered from our sin, knowing that the only way that is possible is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then once having been forgiven, to, in that spirit of repentance, seeking your deliverance from the sin that entraps us, not wanting to keep on in rebellion before you, but so desperately wanting to be freed from our sinful nature, the lust of our our flesh, the pride of our hearts and minds and eyes. O Lord, transform us to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.